1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: So I thought, oh my gosh, some nut is hammered and climbed up this thing and decided he was going to hang off the sign to show his love for Brett Favre.
2: First banner to hang in U.S.
1: Bank Stadium. Wow. It was up there briefly Yep. for three quarters. Brett Favre's number four was up there (laughs) in the in the rafters. We retired it. We did it.
2: This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted.
1: Vikings, this
2: is another edition of 1500 Ball ESPN's Vikings, Purple on Podcast. Welcome to the final Sunday edition for the season of the Purple Podcast. We are at US Bank Stadium after... What we figured was going to be a nice, quiet, uh, season-ending game for the Minnesota Vikings, but if the 2016 season has taught us anything, it's that nothing is quiet with the Minnesota Vikings as we sit here looking at the uh, banner in U.S. Bank Stadium, which still hangs in the rafters after two protesters commanded the headlines during the Vikings' 30-10 win, which was otherwise a, a perfunctory exercise, uh, mostly made interesting by the fact that these protesters were in the stadium, and then the Vikings uh, took care of business on the field. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, joined by Judd Zolgat and Matthew Collar from 1500 ESPN. We'll be talking about protests. We'll be talking about Mike Zimmer's uh, progress as the head coach. We'll be talking about what's going to happen at quarterback. Uh, Matthew, I'm sure, has a few feelings on Sam Bradford, uh, as he usually does. But, uh, guys, let's start off by uh just kind of giving people a sense of what it was like in here today uh for those who were not lucky enough or uh, perhaps um, gullible enough to be here for the proceedings I'm not sure what the <laughs> what the, the, the away. appropriate uh that's one way to put adjective it, I guess. would be but uh Yeah, what what uh, what did you guys make of the protests and and Collar? I'm sorry. I
1: I oh I need to start off by apologizing because as I wrote in my column uh, that's posted at our website now.
2: Did you say that nothing was going to happen today?
1: ESPN.com. No, I'm the one that told Collar when he brought up at some point during this season. He brought up 2010, which he was not here for. No, we're not we're not going there. But he knew he knew still is not weird. He knew some specifics. I'm the one that said, "Shut up! You have no idea what you're talking about." It at least got close. As, as B-Rob said, there were three guys left on this roster. Peterson, Greenway, Robison right. from 2010. And I, I asked two of the three because Peterson didn't talk one talked after the, the game. Room, right? And Greenway's answer was okay, not great. But Robison's the one who said it's not to 2010, but if 2010 has a running mate, 2016 <laughs> is vice president. So, Matthew Collar, I'd like to apologize. In the end, you were far closer than I ever gave you credit for being. Still Bader.
0: wrong, but closer. Well, closer. okay, all right, yeah, wrong indeed, but I have seen some strange seasons myself in my days covering the Buffalo Bills, and I had a feeling, I had a feeling that things could get weird. So it got weird, it got very weird, and uh, this was the perfect exclamation point, something we never could have seen coming, protesters climbing up the Truss, yep. which is, I believe, its official term. But we heard a lot about the trusses y- yeah. uh,
2: during all the stadium tours, and now we know a lot about them for completely different well, reasons.
0: Well, those protesters had a lot of truss in their gear because they were hanging off of the thing, climbing down really? with this Did giant. You he went with do the that?
2: courtesy laugh. It's Did the you just old. Do that? Uh, I remember hearing David Letterman get asked that once about why do you laugh at your own jokes. I think some kid asked him that, and he's like, "Because if I don't, who will?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's pretty good. That is
2: a good line. It's but Matthew's not capable of that kind of clever. Uh, retort. So but, what you're uh, saying is we know he did about laugh at his own joke.
1: So what you're telling me is we now know about three techniques, a gaps and trusses.
0: Yeah, we do know yep. about trusses. Yep. Yes. And, and we, and we also know about Dakota pipelines and such too. And
1: I, it's I mean, been it in was the news for months, it man. Was,
0: uh, okay. Well, I, I am Standing a rock. I, I do pay attention uh, occasionally to the national news, but I've been a little focused on this. Uh, but anyway, how it was, well, it took complete attention away from the game for sure. I mean, I, I got to the end, and I looked down, at, and there was some guy playing quarterback who I'd never heard of. Like, who the heck is number nine for the Bears? David Fales. What is going on? Because uh, sure did. He had a big game against uh, the Gophers, didn't be, he? The San Jose guy, yeah. State. Yeah. San Jose State. Yes, he yeah. did. Yes, he did. Because... Uh, the attention was up there on the truss, and it was an odd scene. We've got firefighters and cops coming through the press box and climbing up this thing to try and get to them. So the entire game, we've got another media member, Brian Murphy, our friend who's calling the guy. I don't know how he got his number, but he's on the phone with the guy up there. So, I mean, all those things were where my attention was much more than how they were, you know, playing defense against Sam Bradford. But at the end of the day, you look at the box score and, it was a it was a whooping by the Vikings, but most of my attention was just up there.
2: Yeah, I went over uh, probably around halftime to the concourse, and I didn't really watch much of the second half of the game because I was busy covering that. And I, I emailed my editor at one point, and said, "Should I go to the locker room or stay up here for this?" He's like, "No, stay up here for the protest. This is more important nationally, <laughs> at least, of what's going on." So, yeah, it was quite a bizarre day here, and that I, I wonder when that banner will come down. It, it's still hanging here as we
1: uh wait to to, to what put does a ball this say guys season? about about security here. Now the that Super Bowl is a whole question. different story yep, because yep. the league will come in and run that. So so I'm not expressing concern about the Super Bowl security here, but what does this say when you had either through an inside job or something, these guys get in that amount of gear. I mean They apparently the get the whole charged thing, with
2: burglary as well, by the way. Well the so, whole in the addition whole, to trespassing.
1: Sure, but the whole thing in and of itself was, was sort of funny as it was happening, but if you give this some real thought, if you can get that much gear into this stadium with thousands of people in it, and you can get up that truss, and you can hang from that truss with a huge banner and climbing equipment, that's scary. Yeah. That's because the next step is it wouldn't be that that hard to get something in here that could do a whole lot of damage to a lot of people and the stadium.
2: Well, I asked the police that after when we talked to him, I said, was there any indication that they had any plans to do anything more harmful than uh, than what they did? But um, he, he said, we don't think so. I mean, I, I think he said they they had to get more. But what information? if they have? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is. And we come through the security every Sunday, and the NFL, of course, has their, they send out the thing every year about how it has to be a clear bag, and there there can't be anything uh, larger than a quarter. I mean, it's basically the same thing you go through at the airport, and a lot of these rules change after the Boston Marathon bombing. But, I mean, we all go through the media security, and and we, you know, I think we've all been in any stadium through things where you think, well, I mean, I know I've thought that, where they check my bag, and they think, oh, your media, you don't have to worry about anything, but I'm thinking like if I wanted to do something I I probably could have slipped something through cuz a lot of times they don't go through metal detectors and and there were fans coming in the media gate today so I'm not really sure what has uh, prompted that to be allowed but uh in, in terms of being able to not go through the typical security that fans would maybe not meet the current the typical regulations but yeah it was it was certainly a bit unnerving from that perspective especially when you you know every Sunday you walk into one of these stadiums you're given the impression, at least, that you are secure and that they've created a perimeter and that they've been through everybody's bags and there's no chance of anything happening. But uh that one, I mean, even just getting into the stadium, how they get that far up there before somebody says anything is... uh a bit astounding, and I'll be curious to see how that all comes out in the investigation here.
0: The size of the sign alone yeah. is, is what 40 by ca- 10, apparently. That caught my attention at yeah. first because I uh, basically, as it started to unfold, I was uh, walking around and grabbing a drink, coming back, and I looked up and saw it and took a picture of it, and I thought that that was a sign that was just hanging there already. I, I didn't think that that was a sign that someone else brought in because I looked up and it's got at the top it says U.S. Bank. It it's looks like the, a stadium sign, right? Yeah. Exactly. So I thought, oh my gosh, some nut is hammered and climbed up this thing and decided he was going to hang off the sign to show his love for Brett Favre.
2: First banner to hang in U.S. Bank Stadium.
0: Wow, that is a that's a Favre's jersey right there. today.
1: Um, it, it was up there briefly. Yep, for three quarters. Brett Favre's number four <laughs> was up there in the Raptors. We
0: retired it. We did it. Anyway, so that took me by surprise that they were able to get uh, that that much in there. And I wonder if they will find out how they were able to do it. I mean, like, are these people – they didn't seem like they really wanted to uh, have good, nice conversations with the police and so forth, right? So are these people going to tell them play-by-play of how they got this in there? Like, was it somebody who worked at the stadium who helped them do it, or – did they just come through? Because I noticed the same thing you did, Ben, where I walked in with a bunch of fans, yeah. which I had not done before. Right. It had always just been other media, and I was kind of looking around like, oh, this is surprising and odd, but I didn't know if that had anything to do with it or not. Or did yeah. they
1: Or did they sneak in before the game yeah. with a bunch of stuff too? Yeah. That's the question.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered there, and, and I think it's going to be one of those things that you're going to have to answer those, number one, and you're going to have to be fairly uh, – accountable to the public with that because i mean this facility being brand new and kind of being the 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 focal point of of reconstruction and redevelopment downtown there's a lot of people that come through this building i mean we've heard all the stats about the number of events that go on in here and and if there's something where that can happen i think it certainly is going to be a a matter where whether it's the state sports facility facilities authority SMG, who runs the stadium, the security company that that runs things, the Vikings, whoever it is, is going to probably have to be fairly open with the public about how this happened and, and what can happen from here. I mean, the, being down there and seeing those guys come down, I, the one guy was waving to fans. And, you know, I I didn't think that the, the, they did not strike me as criminal masterminds so much as, uh ble- but that's what's bleeding heart me. protesters but yeah i that's mean that's what scares yeah. me
1: is they weren't and they and they got that much in, in yeah. here and they yeah. managed to repel i mean yeah. if you have if you have somebody uh, taking notes on that that's not a good thing saying this stadium is full of leaks
2: well i mean and think about and we're getting kind of taking this to a dark place and not talking much about football but Trying i mean think of, fans right but think about <laughs> if they had had say they had some kind of weapon that they were able to hang yes. up there where you've got your pick of where you want to fire the thing, and it's awfully hard to get people to get you down. It, it sounded like they were able to get negotiators and rescue workers to repel above them, and they actually did a lot of negotiating with them on the trust. And one of the things they said was, well, if you make sure that the media is there so that we're seen and we get our message out, we'll come down. And they initially had said, we're going to have you or uh, they told the reporter standing over there myself included that these guys are going to come down and talk to you guys, and then they came down and said, well, we want to have them uh go through a medical evaluation so they're not going to be commenting, so they basically use it as bait to get the guys down, but uh you know it we Shocking. get we at, get at used by teams and, and we get, get used <laughs> media members used at a football game film at and
1: Peterson'll talk as soon as the game ends uh he's not talking, sorry,
2: yeah, and then I think they brought the uh the the police spokesman out to talk right around the time that they were sneaking them out. So, it was no go over here. I mean, that's classic PR move 101, but yeah, I mean, it, it they didn't strike me as uh you know, there there were no Boris and Natasha, but um You know, maybe that's the more concerning thing, like you said.
0: Well, when you bring up the idea of being able to get a weapon in, I mean, if you can get a banner in the size of uh, the end zone. Yeah. (laughs) And climbing equipment. And climbing equipment. Right. I mean, what else could they have gotten in had they wanted to? It seems like they had an entirely different agenda than doing any harm. Right. And, you know, whatever. That's it didn't hurt anyone in the end the game carried on and everybody was fine but the potential there is pretty disturbing and in a way i thought well good thing if somebody was going to do something where they had to sneak a giant banner in and climbing equipment that they that these people were the ones that did it because now it shines a light on the problems that you have here that we went through this entire season thinking that there was no issue with security. It was fine. We hadn't heard of any problems. And clearly there's a big issue there that needs to be addressed. And I agree with you, Ben needs to be addressed very publicly. It needs to be said what happened here. Exactly. It needs to be out there of how they were able to do it and how it's going to not happen again.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you, you know, you kind of go back to the seventies. You remember people the hanging banners and, and protesting. And that's kind of what you think of in places like Three Rivers Stadium and that kind of thing. But number one, the security is a lot different now. And number two, the logistics of this, yep. where you're having to climb up that thing and uh, get on the on the truss, is uh, quite a bit different as and well. And by the
1: way, boys, I'm not buying for one second what Zim said in his post-game press conference, which yeah, is, come on. I didn't see it. Come what on. protest? I swear to God, I didn't see it. If Mike Zimmer didn't see two guys hanging from the truss at some point in time, then Mike needs to reevaluate how much he's paying attention Thanks. to things going on around him. You might have been following doctor's orders. They told him to look horizon down. Don't look up. Maybe he was. But, yeah, could be, but yeah. him saying, I didn't see it. I, I have no idea. Yeah, Mike, you know what? It's been a tough year. Why don't you cut your losses right now and just start to tell some truth?
0: Do you like basketball? Do you like the Minnesota Timberwolves? Do you like nachos? I like nachos. I'm Steve McPherson, and if you like those things, especially nachos, you should check out the Raised by Wolves podcast. You can find us on iTunes or
2: on the 1500ESPN.com website. Well, why don't we pivot from, uh, I don't know what gate thing we're going to assign to it. Divest gate. Banner gate, divest gate, whatever, uh, into where things go here for the Vikings. They're 8-8, eight and eight. they finish uh, without a losing record, but... Given the fact they started 5-0, I think people were expecting a lot more than that. What does this season say about the state of this program and uh, the direction that Mike Zimmer has them going?
1: Uh, I thought it was very telling that a team that started Five and zero, and a team that I sat there at that point and said, "Hell, look at the schedule. I don't see the losses." I found it very intriguing that uh, Jay Glazer, who is the information guy for Fox, felt it necessary to issue a report that Mike Zimmer would return as the Vikings' head coach in 2017. Here's why it's intriguing to me: there was no doubt in my mind that that he that Zimmer will be back unless health prohibits him from coming back. But what Glazer's report does and what these information guys, Ben, is, is, as you know, like to get a head start on, is that means that from day one of training camp next summer, Mike Zimmer is under a ton of pressure. And it's my opinion that what we saw from him post-bye week, Mike Zimmer's going to have to make some big alterations in how he handles his players and the people inside and outside the Vikings If he he wants to survive as coach, because a guy who at one time I thought didn't allow himself to get involved in the noise and hear all the BS and a guy who I thought was strictly a football guy who got it turned out to be a very sensitive guy who sent messages that were very different at times to his players and who who became very um, distrustful and cantankerous around the press which means the fans, basically, right, for no Remember reason that. whatsoever. It's not just us. It, but, it, we're doing but this the, stuff for fans as well. But by the end of 2016, now, as we sit here, there is no difference in how Zimmer approached things with the outside world than Childress did. Mm-hmm. And that shocks me, but Mike Zimmer will be under pressure to, with this organization as its coach on day one of training camp next summer.
0: I think this year uh, we went into it thinking – the Vikings were in a situation where they had one of the best coaches in the NFL, especially coming off the 11-5 and five year. And I think everybody felt bad for Mike Zimmer, too. He it, His playoff win was ruined because Blair Walsh couldn't make a 27-yard kick. That, that They had much more potential even last year. And that this was the year that it had all been built up for. And re- regardless of the injuries and things like that that happened throughout the season, and they did happen more than usual this year, there were a few mistakes that we could look back at that would say if you were on that ground feeling very steady about him as your head coach, that that ground started to become more shaky. I mean, the North Turner situation is just an overall bad look that at that time we sort of went, well, okay, this is fine because Pat Schirmer's probably got a better plan. But in hindsight, you go, how did you get to that point in the season? And even at five and two, and not have your offense on the right page with each other. I mean, that's just one place to start. And then the handling of the players, the miscommunication with the cornerbacks. Scare quotes
2: on that, please. Yes,
0: very much, very much. I mean, all, all these sorts of things built up, and I think some of it is just a product of when you collapse and you lose all those games that the spotlight gets on you. As it should. We because- should also
2: note here that we are saying this as the Redskins lose, which means that both the Lions and Packers are in the playoffs independent of what happens tonight. It also means that, and tiebreakers go different ways based on who wins which game, it also means that nine wins would have gotten you in the playoffs. In the NFC, we know that for sure now. That nine wins would have put you in the playoffs,
0: which also makes you wonder if a certain coach handles his clock management better in a game against. Oh, there's the a, lot. Yep. there's and, a lot and, of and, yep. and that's yeah. what Blair I mean Walsh makes that, an extra point. That, and that's what I mean is that these things that we, any shortcomings we just sort of went well. I mean, they should have won a playoff game last year with a team that wasn't even expected to be that good, and this year when they were expected to be a twelve and four, eleven and five, or ten and six worst case that there were mistakes from the sideline and beyond in handling the
1: players that may have cost them just that one and the good will, And the goodwill's gone now. Yeah. You know, all of the, oh, oh that's okay, it's Mike. We like Mike. That's all gone. He, he used that up, and he's become so prickly. And what we have now is a very stubborn guy who thinks he's right, who doesn't like to be questioned. There's a lot about people that, that you find out in, in adversity and almost everything that we found out about Zimmer in adversity has not been positive then.
2: We are going to hear that narrative though, right? That yeah, hey, if Blair Walsh makes an extra point, we beat the Lions, we're 3 and 3 in the division. But that's their fault. I mean, it they, is. They yeah, there's bring no question in competition for a guy that missed right. a 27-yard field goal. Uh all, my, my only point is that we're going to hear that narrative. Sure. I don't think we should believe it. But I it, don't buy it. But get ready to hear it not because having, that is going
1: to come out. There are moves the Vikings made, including not having competition for Walsh in training camp. After after yeah. two years ago, he was suspect. And we knew that that he might be mind bleeped. The Walsh decision is second to me to the Twins – moving Sano to right field to a first guest. That was not a – we didn't sit there and say, Blair Walsh is going to be fine. We all said, this could be really bad. And they said, no, it'll be fine. We're not going to bring a competition for him. We're not going to do this or that. The Vikings made – listen, they had some bad luck, but they also made some missteps, and, and this includes Spielman too. This goes upstairs, that they did not address, that people were asking them about, and people were told, get away. We know what we're doing.
2: Well, and the stuff too, I mean, for all the talk about – we're going to have the greatest offensive line competition ever. It's practically going to be like a cage match every day in training camp. The spot they exempted from that was left tackle. They did not bring in anybody to push Matt Khalil, and now Matt Khalil was going to be the starter. He's making $11.1 million, but Matt Khalil is also a guy that's had a lot of injuries, and there was not really ever a concrete plan for what if he is not good enough to hold on that hold on to that job all season? Or what if he gets hurt? What do you do if you need another left tackle? They brought in competition at just about every other spot. They had a, a, more than one veteran at just about every other spot that they could possibly plug in. Left tackle was the one where they didn't, and left tackle ultimately was uh, a major issue uh, throughout the course of the season.
0: And you talk about, just from the coaching standpoint, you talk about sticking with Blair Walsh for way too long, sticking with TJ Clemmings for way too long. In week five, we sat up here and said, this is untenable. This cannot continue to happen. This player does not belong in a starting lineup anywhere. If he has to fill in during a game, okay, but... And then watching, and I know the Bears may have not been giving 110 today, but watching Rashad Hill step in and look fairly competent at left tackle – really made you throw up the hands of how Clemmings was allowed to stay at that position. Even when Alex Boone offered to move out to tackle Boone, who played tackle at Ohio state and had played tackle very early in his career with the 49ers. And is like a reasonably talented player who had a solid year at guard left tackles. At least give him a shot though. Right. It's the most important position to your passing game, not left guard, but left tackle. And a guy comes to you and says, and, and there's a bigger point in Zimmer here. A guy comes to you, Alex Boone, and says, "Skip, I can do it. I can move out there." That guy's not put me very in, good. Coach. And Zimmer—that's
2: for Derek Wetmore sitting behind us.
0: At least this a baseball thing. At least the way it comes for the across, seam in the room. it yeah. comes across
1: a little bit as I didn't think of it, so we're not doing it. It comes Correct.
0: across as stubborn, and sticking with them.
1: It, and here's my question: between Zimmer and Spielman, how much are we subjected to one of two things? In Zimmer's case, it's not my idea. In Spielman's case, it's my draft pick, so play him. Because you, you went and picked up the, the kid from Jacksonville off the practice squad yeah. as a backup. And so Spielman's saying, well, but I drafted TJ Clem. How many times are the Vikings, and plus, in Spielman's case, the, the other problem is this. And you can sell this any way you want, but there's the bottom line is the 2016 draft class gave you nothing. It gave you nothing. So is this a case of, once again, Rick's pride being, I drafted Clemmings, I was the guy who did this, we're going to continue to play him. And it just seems to me that, that one narrative that's true of the 2016 Vikings, and this will be on their grave, is we were just going to be stubborn no matter what. We were I, Either the head coach or the GM had to have his way, even if that meant not doing the smart thing.
2: Well, when you talk about the two guys that we're discussing here, Blair Walsh, TJ Clemmings, both are Vikings draft picks. And I think you can at times probably say that there's a benefit to that in sticking with guys when when other teams might not. But there can also be the other side of that coin where they stick with guys too long because they're a draft pick, because they believed in them, because they don't necessarily want to, uh, I guess, be wrong about a guy uh, or be seen as being wrong about a guy no matter what they may think internally. That, I think, is certainly part of the storyline of this season in in the sense that with Blair Walsh, you kept him. I mean, even even if you, you take him into the season, you kept him basically six to eight weeks after his issues resurfaced. And then he cost you a game that turned out to be a, a pretty big piece of why you missed the playoffs. And in the case of TJ Clemmings, the first time we saw them try anything else other than Clemings post Jake Long was precipitated by Clemming's getting hurt today. I mean, mm-hmm. it was not, hey, we, we think we have a better option, and maybe Rashad Hill wasn't good enough to, to merit that look, but it goes to the point, I think, that you've made a lot, Matthews, that why not try it out? I mean, it, I, you can make that case that why don't they at least see if somebody can be better than what Clemmie's had been over there?
0: Because they're, according to pro football focus is no one worse. I think he's rated second to last. Now, maybe we'll see what the final rankings were, but for Moving much, up. much of the year, he was dead last. And there was a guy from Denver who I think passed him reverse past him, I guess in a way uh, with Hill. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't going against Brandon Graham today. He wasn't going against Clay Matthews today, but He looked competent at least enough to put a hand on a guy. And there's another point to be made, too, about it, that Clemmings was as poor as he was. I mean, was there no way to help out there more? Because there were a lot of times where we saw, going back through the film, and maybe this is just the offensive design. I don't know who this goes on. Pat Shermer, Mike Zimmer. How is he alone ever in blocking a guy, especially Clay Matthews? And, and there were games that we saw where the Vikings had chances. They'd be moving the ball at times, and then their chances were just shot by a yep. huge sack. I believe that Sam Bradford was at the top of the league in third down sacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were a lot of third downs where he checked down that were frustrating, but there were also times where he got, he got sacked or he got pressured by somebody just walking around TJ Clemmings with no chip, with no running back in the backfield to help him, with no tight end. I mean, you have to wonder about not just him being in the lineup in general, but also the protection there. Mike Zimmer said he planned on going through the protections himself because he's the defensive guy and he knows how to beat protections and trying to help the offense figure them out. Well, that did not work at any point
1: during the season. And he has, Zimmer has to understand, starting in 2017, that This whole thing of I'll just do more and that will fix it is ridiculous. The whole thing is you need you and your staff to figure it out. It was as if everything that happened uh, post bye week this year, Zimmer just said, well, I'll stay at the office more. I'll work more. It's like, no, that's not how life works. How life works is you get your staff together and do it from there. Uh, Today's game – because the Bears didn't give a damn, is going to create a perception of, man, the Vikings scored all these points, blah, blah, blah. Today's game means nothing. The games that mean something are the Colts game, which was a ridiculous no-show by the Vikings, and the Packer game, which ha- had a touch of insubordination and was a mess. Give me, from both you guys, give me what you think the uh, locker room assessment is of the head coach compare, now compared to what, what we looked at on the opening day of training camp when it seemed to be a complete love fest between players and head coach. I think it's changed
2: notably. I mean, I was talking to a couple players over the course of this. and was talking to one player today that really kind of said, you know, a lot of the things that we had talked about in the sense that when you get the blunt criticisms of players in the public and there's more of a, uh, an edge to it, I guess, than there had been in the past maybe, um, you know, the – the thing he said about Anthony Barr when I asked him about Barr's play this season a couple of weeks ago, that he said, well, Anthony's had a tendency to coast at times. I, I was told today that that didn't play well in the locker room. I mean, in, in things like last week when the uh, miscommunication that we're, I guess, going with now officially um, occurred, I, I don't think it was necessarily that, and I'm saying that with some uh, degree of scar- sarcasm in my voice, but... For Zimmer to go up to the podium and do what he did there, I don't think played terribly well among that group of players, which includes guys that have been his guys. So I think it has changed a lot. Uh, It will sort of depend on how he approaches them in the future to see if, if this can get back going the right direction but he does probably have some goodwill to rebuild with those guys
0: it's a it really blew me away that the criticism when he uh had the miscommunication issue uh rogue one cornerback or rogue whatever, one series rogue one series sorry about Murph that. and I were uh, uh, going with on the radio <laughs> last week <laughs> whatever you want to call it um w- the criticism of him for why that would have happened was exactly what you're saying the anthony barr thing the combination of some of these harsh public criticisms Shri floyd that's what we were saying right as it led into that press conference then he has the press conference and he says that xavier rhodes gets confused in front of the media yeah i mean xavier rhodes is a grown man what are you saying that for i mean if i were xavier rhodes i'd be like I am a grown-up. I'm an NFL star. How are you saying I get confused? Like, are you calling me stupid? If I were him, I would feel that way. I was in the press area listening to this going, what did he just say about Xavier Rhodes? And so now he's got to repair some of that with those guys too because the respect also for Terrence Newman, if he was the one that was leading that charge a little bit, is so stupendously high in the locker room that I think that group is really tight and if you're saying something about one guy, and it includes Barr, I mean the defense, they're very tight, it includes Anthony Barr, I think a lot of them would have a huge problem with that, so repair is one part of it, but also like learn to get the message across the right way. How would you not know what question was going to come up in that press conference after the entire world, ESPN, the first takes, they're all talking about this, right? How do you not know when you step up to that podium that someone is going to ask you why Xavier said what he said? And how do you not have an answer ready for that at all? The Scary thing
1: is, I think he did, and I think that was it, and that's how. Wow. That's, he that's he also, even worse. He also, this guy who who, when it comes to defensive backfield play, is absolutely meticulous, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. his baby. He is the Monet of defensive backfield play. Said, I miscommunicated things. Yeah. What are you it's talking to a about? guy
2: that has played nine of his fourteen seasons? I miscommunicate. I you.
1: miscommunicated things. That whole thing, though, it's it's. Beyond frustrating to watch because so I'm, what, what we talked about the last time I joined you guys on this podcast is still true. One thing the Vikings have to do is they have to carve out time for Mike Zimmer to get to a media coach this offseason. They do because it shouldn't be one of your jobs, like it or not. And if you don't like it, quit and go be, become a coordinator again. But one of your jobs as as a head coach is you are in charge of the message, at least during the season, for your team. And it's crystal clear he does not know right now how to, when things get bad, if things are good, it's great. But when things get bad, it's crystal clear he doesn't know how to convey the message. And that is going to hurt him, not only with the media and fans, the locker room as well. Right. So So get with somebody who understands it, and it's probably from outside the team, but get with somebody who can sit you down and say, Mike, here's what you need to learn to become a better head coach, because that's part of being a head coach. Well, we, hear,
2: I mean, we hear a lot. I mean, usually, kind of in glowing terms that you know, Mike Zimmer's a football coach and he just wants to do the things that directly relate to coaching his team. That's fine and good, but being an NFL head coach requires more of you than that. There are parts of this job that, like it or not, are a lot like being a CEO. There are forward-facing parts of it. There are messaging parts of it that are not going anywhere. And I think. If anything, this season, I mean, we can debate all day how much messaging or perception in the locker room or whatever would be directly related to their final record. But I certainly think there are things that probably could have helped in that sense. And it will be interesting on Tuesday uh, when Mike Zimmer has a season ending press conference to hear kind of his evaluation of himself in that regard.
0: There's another part of Zimmer through next year that he's going to have to think about, too, which is just his defense. I saw this in Buffalo. Rex Ryan got fired again, and one of the reasons that Rex Ryan's defenses were not as good in Buffalo was because he didn't change. He kept the Rex Ryan defense the same as it was when they went to two AFC championships with the New York Jets. And players made note of this. They said it publicly that he's going to have to make a change to deal with up-tempo offenses. That was the issue there. There were different issues here, including playing his base defense too much against Indianapolis, which stuck out to the players a lot. And he's going to have to listen to them, too, when it comes to adjusting and adapting his scheme, because the defense was good. It was very good, and it faced a lot of pressure, a lot of high leverage situations, if you use a baseball term, where they're being asked to win games for their team. That's not easy. But when you do get out schemed pretty badly and everybody finds out, hey, that you're not so perfect yourself, so you're criticizing all of us. You have to reassess what went wrong in some of those areas, too, because if you're going to be the one throwing stones and then you get out schemed when you're Mr. Genius, well, it's a lot easier when things are falling apart for the players to go, hey, man, how about you put a little responsibility on your own back for messing up the scheme against Indianapolis? Because that, to me, I think started the issue a little bit more with what happened with cornerback gate which was just that they were coming off a week in which the defense got skewered for not trying, and guys in the locker room were saying, no, actually we got out-schemed.
1: And he also has to learn that while there are parts of the Bill Parcells Act that will always be admirable and great, that the Bill Parcells Act as a whole does not work completely in 2016 or 17. And so if Sharif Floyd goes out in week one, and Sharif Floyd, listen, he's injury-prone. We all know his pitfalls, but we also know that if he's on the field for you, he's a pretty important player. Ripping him or chiding him for not playing is not going to get a pro athlete necessarily back on the field. Guess what? In 1992, it probably did. Anthony Barr was a disappointment. There's no doubt about that, but chiding him... Through you guys is not going to work, and so what Zimmer Zimmer wants to take the Parcells blueprint as a whole and just transfer it, that doesn't work. There's parts of a lot of really good coaches that can be taken and and incorporated to your scheme and your act. But if you just say, well, hey, in 1991 the Giants did this, so I'm going to try the, the same thing. There's a lot of guys on your team now who are going to say. Believe you, i am paid millions of dollars, and guess what? If you're going to give me crap through the media for not playing, then I'm not playing. And so I'm really curious if Zimmer can look at that and understand what he did wrong, or or if, once again, we're going to get the stubborn Zim, which is to say, oh, no, 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 my way still works. So these calls to Parcells are fantastic. But some of what Parcells is telling him is granddad stuff, and granddad stuff don't always work in current day. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And that's the whole thing about handling players, too, that it's not just your message through the media. It's your message in practice. It's your from the top to bottom. You have to decide how you're going to handle those things. I mean, if you're just sort of going out there and doing it in the reflection of a coach that you worked for and highly revered and is one of the all-time greats, and I guess I understand that as being Zimmer's influence, but he's going to have to reassess some of those things after the way that this year went. and. I mean, look, there's a part of me that stops always when I go too far in talking about how the hot white light could be on him because there were games where if his quarterback doesn't throw a pick on the last drive, they probably win, and they probably get into the playoffs. And how different is the narrative around Zimmer if they just win one of those games, if they beat Indy and somehow get in the playoffs or But him or getting tighter right?
1: didn't help things, too. Well, that's another another point, We got a glimpse inside inside the guy at at times of adversity, and what we saw didn't give you a lot of confidence. Yeah. He could have helped matters. I'm not saying that he could have turned all of these losses into wins, but there's no question in my mind if you go game by game through these losses that there were times where his mentality and the way he handled adversity, if it had been different, would have at least helped. And by getting completely uptight and – at the time when when he called the team "soft guys" after the first loss, I thought, "Oh, good, you know, good for Zim." But you look at that, and it's akin to what Red McCombs did in in two thousand three when the Vikings were six and zero, and he owned the Vikings, and they lost to the Giants to go to six and one, and he came down and lashed into the team. It's it doesn't work now. So, what's the right way? And this is probably not a question
2: that we have a definitive answer to at the moment, but. What is the right way, then, to hold the team accountable without doing things that alienate
1: players for
2: something that they deem to be disrespectful?
1: It's having a consistent approach from day one. And Mike Zimmer's biggest fault, in my opinion, is this. On day one of training camp, he showed up with the straw man argument. It's us against them, and them—they don't think we can do it. And there was—look at how many national outlets. Them were all the people that were saying they were going to go to the yes, Super Bowl. Yes, exactly. But he—but he created <laughs> okay. this. He created this straw man case of this is I'm with you, and the outside world thinks you stink, and we're going to do this together. And that conti- Bridgewater got hurt. He goes in and handles it marvelously. You know, cancels practice, goes in and tells them we're still going to do this thing, and we're going to address it. And they go get Bradford, and we're all thinking this is really, really good. And then they get to five and zero, and the pressure's on. And what does he do? He goes and says, "Fat cats get slaughtered, boys." And I think they probably said, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! We're in this together. Why would we get fat?" And then they lose to Philadelphia, and he and he goes to the media, the media, and says, "My team got soft." I mean, that that's something you say at six and six, right? At Five and one, and everything from that day on seemed to be, I'm distancing myself from you, and now I'm I'm your boss and I'm your coach. And I think that confuses a lot of athletes who have been playing games their whole lives who have been coached to be, I, either it's I'm with you or I'm not with you, I think his biggest problem was his message changed and he left a lot of people, including his own locker room, really confused.
2: I remember sitting down with him, his first year as the head coach, I don't know if you remember it, they had that game that they lost to the Lions and he said something after the game like fines are going to the max this week and you know, there were guys missing meetings and missing lifts and being late and all of this stuff and it comes out well it was like two practice squad guys that were late for a lift. And that's what had him fired up. And I remember asking him after that, we had to sit down in his office for something, some story I was working on. And I asked him, you know, has this season taught you anything about how far your words carry as a head coach? That when you are a head coach, that there's a lot more people parsing what you say, that the pro football talks of the world are going to pick up on every little thing and, and take every word that you use, whether you were thinking about them that with that degree of specificity or not, and try to analyze exactly what you meant. And he kind of said, well, yeah, I'm just going to do me. I'm going I'm to say what I think, and, and I'm going to go from there. And I remember thinking at the time, it, you know, I appreciated that at the time. You know, you as a reporter, you want candor. Right? And I think fans, it helps fans when coaches are candid. You know, they can say what they want about, well, all the media isn't entitled to any information. I mean, the reality is we're trying to get information so that the fans that invest so much of their lives in these teams understand them better. And that from that perspective, is good for fans. But... You, I mean, we're getting into it here, that there are side effects to that that can have an adverse effect on your team, and I think that's a lot of the reason you see a lot of coaches not as candid as he is. And I, I think, like you're saying, Judd, candor, candor is fine if you're consistent with it, but I think when you get into the mode where he has gone at times, you run that risk of players saying, well, wait a minute, what do you mean
0: here? I think he has to know how to put himself in their shoes and how they're going to hear certain messages, right? I mean, if you say about Laquan Treadwell, right, like, so, Coach, why uh, is Laquan Treadwell not playing? Well, you know, he's a rookie, and he's still working on route depth and getting that right then Laquan Treadwell might read that and go, well, that's exactly what he said. I mean, like he said to me, I'm still working on route depth, and that's correct, so I can't really get too upset about that. If you say a a player is soft or shouldn't come back or should come back from an injury or you make fun of him being out for injuries. I mean I think that there are certain areas that you can push down through the media and certain areas you can't. So you can have the candor and give us a Mike Zimmer's a very smart football guy and give us great answers that uh tell us what is going on with players without pushing those buttons that you just don't need to push. It's almost like when you go to Christmas dinner or something, and you know that so-and-so doesn't like if you bring up the president-elect, but you just bring it up anyway. <laughs> I mean, you have to know that no player is going to like you mocking them for an injury.
1: But don't you guys think that what players want more than anything else is one thing it's consistency yes if you're going to if hey listen if you're going to be if you're going to come in day one of training camp and i've been reading all off season i'm going to the super bowl and you're going to create this argument that no one believes in you then i want the consistency of that message all year long just give me consistency and i think that's his biggest thing it changes i mean listen when you move heaven and earth to protect the fact that you sat Teddy Bridgewater out of a preseason game because of an arm issue, which you could have easily said—I'm sorry, shoulder—but you could have easily said he's got Get some my shoulder right, fatigue. You could have got; it would have been so easy. But instead, he goes, you know, I would, I'm not talking about that. I'll never talk about that. And then he turns around months after and basically makes fun of Sharif Floyd. Where's the consistency? And then, and then there's the elephant in the proverbial room, and this is on Spielman and Zimmer, Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson played in what parts of 3 games and still was treated like for, for the most part until the end a little bit a little bit by the head coach was treated like this golden child who could you know you, it's his call on what he does. So mm-hmm. I just think you have, in the end, you had a locker room filled with players who said, we have no idea what your message is because it changes. And part of it changes because he's an emotional coach and he rides a roller coaster, which I think he does as a person. But I'm telling you, I think that's really counterproductive as a coach to allow yourself. It's Mike Tice-like. I mean, Zimmer, at, Zimmer when he's in a good mood, it's fun to cover. And Tice was, too. But when you're up and down, I think the key thing that you guys have in common with the Vikings players is this. You never really knew, know what to expect from yeah, them. Yeah. You, you can show up for a press conference, and he can be really good and be glib, and the next press conference he can give you one-word answers. And I think all anyone wants from these guys is give me consistency on who you are.
2: Well, and the thing with that, I mean, that was the thing, and these messages changed based on whether teams are winning or losing. But when the Vikings were winning – In 2012 with Leslie Frazier, the thing you always heard is that you get the same guy every day, and the thing he would always talk about was that as a player that played for Mike Ditka and Buddy Ryan, you would show up on certain days, and you get, okay, this guy is great, this guy is my best friend, he thinks I'm doing a great job, and the next day you get fire-breathing dragon, and that was one of the things, and I know Vikings fans didn't like the stoic Leslie Frazier on the sidelines, and eventually that that probably, it was probably too deferential to the coordinators and... And that eventually got him in trouble, uh, in addition to the fact that he had to play Christian Bonder and Josh Freeman as his quarterbacks. But, uh, I mean, that was one of the things that we always heard people say that they liked about him. And you should always be careful when you hear players talk about how much they like a coach, because they're going to say whatever they have to say at the moment based on how things are going and what they need to say to keep themselves uh, in good graces with their boss, as we all do. Uh, certainly, I think the world of my fantastic bosses at ESPN. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that you heard from – Vikings players in 2012 is that you had this steady hand, and I think you heard that with with co- with players from this from the 2015 team with regard to Mike Zimmer as well, and it, you maybe didn't have quite as much of that
1: this year. Where, gentlemen, is should we expect the simmer button to be on the burner with mm-hmm. Bridgewater comeback talk? Because I'm very curious now. Bradford, listen, Sam Bradford today, God bless him, patted his stats left and right and his age his agent ain't going into Spielman's office and saying I'm going to give you back you that take last your game time don't worry about that to see what, Sam what Brad- Teddy is going to want you. a long-term contract extension Sam Bradford is coming off a year where he was fantastic early and could certainly use excuses as to why that didn't continue and meanwhile Teddy Bridgewater first round pick of this organization and until the day he snapped his leg was going to be the guy If there's any chance he comes back, where should we expect this conversation to go? Because it's, in my opinion, not going to be dead.
0: It's really interesting to me that we have heard absolutely dead rock zero about Teddy Bridgewater. And it's gone through the whole season and nothing at all. Not even sources say X, Y, or Z about what is going on with his knee. There was a chef report that he might be done
2: at one point. Right, Ben? Um that was it? I, well, I think there was the thing about whether he tore his LCL and the Vikings tried to get out and refute that. I thought
1: there was one about week seven or so that he might be, yeah. that he
2: might be finished. I, I think that was talking to doctors, the old well, doctors okay. that aren't specifically working on him but have experience with injuries like his, which, you know, it, it, it's an interesting piece of information, but you always have to be a little bit careful with some of those things. But I don't think it was anything from somebody that was directly working with him.
0: But that doesn't make it sound to me at all like, he's on his way back, boys. Fans get ready. Don't throw away your Teddy Bridgewater jerseys. He's fine. It doesn't sound like that when you hear nothing but radio silence, right? And it would behoove them to get that out there if that were the case. If he was
2: ahead of schedule, and maybe it's too early to know, but if he was ahead of schedule, A, to get fans excited, and B, to put some pressure on... The Sam Bradford camp, um, you know, saying, hey, well, don't expect that we're going to back the truck up for you just yet when we might be getting our guy back. You'd think they'd want that out there. Yeah. If that that, were the case.
0: Well, and and maybe they'll go this far, too, with the Sam Bradford situation is to try and push it more toward. Guys, Teddy's not going to be ready for next year, so don't even start that talk because it's going to be Bridgewater. It's not going to be Teddy, so we don't even want it out there that he's ahead of schedule or anything else because they know how popular Teddy is, and you know who else he's popular with? Not just the fans, but those guys in that locker room. He is hugely popular with them, too. And the head coach loves him. And the head coach loves him, too, so to try and keep the pressure off of Bradford, you want it to be hey, Teddy's not going to be anywhere near ready. It's going to be Taylor Heineke will be your backup quarterback or bring back Matt Castle, whoever it might be. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Sean Hill again. My guess would be that he retires. But uh, I think that's the way that they would want it to be is everybody knows it's going to be Bradford, and then we go from there. And if you are Bradford's camp, you're going, hey, I just set a record for completion percentage, which is, you know, Follows along an eye roll for me, but you know, I mean, that's what. they that's what they're going
1: to say. You're not a big Sam Bradford guy. <laughs> you never mentioned it, he used to be. Okay, no. why haven't you brought this up, you guys? Google collar fifteen hundred ESPN and Bradford and see how it just changed. It morphs. He's a, a flip flopper. Huh? It morphs from earlier in
0: the season. Um, oh, I'm working on my political career. for Apparently, this. no,
1: there was. You're going to be very successful. There
0: were always shortcomings in Sam Bradford's in game. Post truth era. It's there fine. Were, there were always Trump's shortcomings in his game, uh, but I thought that they were on display a lot of, at a lot of key times throughout this year. And I think if you're talking about your wins above replacement or points above re- a replacement quarterback uh, for Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Bradford, you're probably around the same place. So if you're the organization, if Bridgewater could come back 100%, you'd rather turn to him, the younger quarterback, who might cost you less ultimately uh, than Sam Bradford's going to ask for?
2: You know he's not as much fun to tweak as Kramer used to be when we would try well, to Kramer get Kramer really all mad and we try rolls. to derail these things. Collar is
1: far more adept. Yeah, it's at just not going anywhere with near it. as much fun as Kramer's Kramer so really easy offended. to make mad.
2: He got offended. I mean Kramer's like Kramer's like a third grader where it's <laughs> loves hugs. Well, that, that's but well, no, he doesn't love hugs. Like so that's the whole reason old. I do it because he gets mad. He's, at, he gets he's 16, mad about it. He doesn't realize that like if you stopped giving me the the
1: rise that I'm trying to get out of you, that I would stop doing it. And this whole thing with the podcast, too. Hey, who should have more pressure on them at the start of the coming season? Kramer or Zimmer? Kramer, definitely. Zimmer? I thought he had a bad year. Zimmer or Spielman? Because I will say this. If they don't get this offensive line right, it might not matter who's a quarterback. Short of Rodgers or Brady, it really might – if you don't find a left tackle – and I'm and my contention is Khalil comes back, which is not great, yeah. but he's a left tackle. Yeah. But if you don't have a competent left tackle and you don't address th- this offensive line in a, in a draft that I believe Collar has told me time and time again is not deep, and you don't have a first-round pick, and I believe you also told me, Matthew, that the uh, free agent market is not great. So if you can't address the offensive line sufficiently, I think you got to start to look at the GM, too, and say, buddy boy – you gave a, you know, you traded a first and fourth for Bradford. You you might have a quarterback here, but it's not gonna matter if we can't have a run game or keep our quarterback healthy because he can't be protected. So who's who should have more pressure?
2: Well, I I think uh just given the way things tend to work, uh, it's probably going to be Zimmer. I, I don't think that necessarily that would I mean whether it what it is and what it should be are probably different questions, but I think the, the dynamics of the situation are going to be such that Zimmer probably has a little bit more pressure, and it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, that relationship between the coach and the GM, from their perspective, has been very solid. They've always talked about how they see things the same way, how they are of the same mind in a lot of things, and you know, everything is great in the working relationship. It will be interesting to see if... Things change in that regard if the tone of that changes probably behind the scenes more than out front of things if they should struggle again next year because that's where these things start to, to go south is, all right, well, am I trying to keep my job or am I trying to help this guy keep his? And and we're not at that point yet, but I, I think uh, Andy Carlson uh, of the Purple for the Wind podcast, I, I think, put this on Twitter and I thought it was very well said. Uh, The seat is not hot, but uh, kindling is being gathered underneath the chair heading into 2017.
0: Uh, I agree with you that usually the GM finds a way to... Place the blame on the coach because that's just how sports work, right? Like, I mean, you see this all over the place. You see it in hockey too. The Minnesota Wild they fire Mike Yo, and then Chuck Fletcher gets a couple of more years if Bruce Boudreaux worked. And then when it does work, we go, Ah, yes, Chuck Fletcher was right. It was his dumb coach, and that's the that, outcome. Right. That, that's the outcome that they hope for. Um, but trading for Sam Bradford pushed every single chip into the middle of the table and went bust this year. This yep. year, and he yep. and and he he's bought some himself time with next year, and saying, well, we're not sure about Teddy's knee, so how could we go into next year without a quarterback too? But the reality is, you made an all-in move, and it blew up in your face, and you didn't end up in the playoffs, and you gave the Philadelphia Eagles the 14th overall pick. Yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a pick to give away for a, a one-year solution, maybe or a little bit more of Sam Bradford, if it, it doesn't end up being the long-term stuff. Starting quarterback so I say the pressure is probably on both of them this might be Ben you're talking about how kind of close and in lockstep they've yeah. been well that can work both ways for you right it can work in the way that hey you guys were in lockstep so guess also what be a hive mind you're both responsible for this and you both can go and that well, might
1: be very fair by the way
2: I, I think in the end the question of of the Bradford trade and we're going to evaluate it through the course of the offseason obviously as well. offseason, I, for people that I mean you hear people say well you have to make a decision right at the time of the trade whether it was a good move or not I I get that I generally am the type that says the result doesn't necessarily mean it was the right or wrong decision but I also think in the NFL when you're giving up that kind of a thing I mean you'd be remiss not to take a look at what happened when you have a little bit more evidence of of where things went I mean the the belief that they were good enough to make a run I think at the time, they they certainly believe that. I, I think we all had some things we wanted to see before from the offense, especially before saying, "Yeah, that's that's the case." Um, the I, the thing I will say though is that if you were going to make that determination that we are good enough to go for it now, you had to have a reasonable amount of confidence in your offensive line. And that offensive line had to be good enough to justify that confidence, whether it was well placed or not. That certainly was not the case. Uh, that ultimately, I think, on the field was a big part of why things went south. And uh, you know that that raises the question of if you're going to go all in, why wasn't there a little bit more of an effort to build out the depth of the offensive
1: line? Particularly with draft picks. You you threw to y- do it. You bamboozled us by throwing a lot of garbage at the positions. Yep. You bamboozled us it was by throwing pitching staff approach. Look at what we got. We got we're bringing in so and so to compete with so and so and so and so to compete with this guy. And and you're right, Ben. The Khalil swing and a miss on having him working alone at left tackle and having no one else even close to being competent to play that that position was bad. The other thing, too, is because fans are going to say, well, you guys are dismissing the fact that guys got hurt. Okay, they did. They didn't uh, play well when they Andre were healthy. Andre Smith at right tackle, garbage. When, when he was healthy. Yes. Brandon Fusco at right guard, nice kid. I have no idea what's happened, but steep decline, right? Joe Berger's been decent. or he Joe Berger's actually been good at center. Um, you went and signed Boone at left guard, and he, I thought he improved. He's not great. He's coming back. But you had enough swing and and misses on that offensive line that I feel I feel duped because I feel like what you did was you said just wait till Mankato when all these guys are competing. Well, competition doesn't mean that you have good players there. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to look back on on Spielman's approach, and and I will actually defend the Bradford trade because the Bradford trade to me was a trade that had to be made because you looked at your roster that day and you said, okay, if we try. This team just watched our quarterback's leg snap. And if we try and parade Sean Hill out there, they're going to say, what are you doing? We've got no chance. So I'll defend the Bradford trade, but there's a lot of other moving parts here, including that offensive line and the last few drafts, the first-round picks. The 2016 draft didn't work. Trey Waynes is still not playing on an every-down basis. And go back, what, three drafts now? Bar and Bridgewater. And you've got Bar who has regressed, who looked great, and then go back to the um, to the Floyd-Rhodes-Patterson draft. Yeah. No, and Rhodes has turned
2: out great. One and a half for three.
1: Right, but Floyd can't stay on the field. And Patterson, I think, first of all, he didn't use him essentially for two years. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm pretty convinced that he's, he's going to walk because somebody's going to come along and say, well, kid, you could play for us and we'll play you more. So there's just a lot of things about what Spielman has done. It might not be fair, but I, I think – have to be dissected that go above and beyond the Bradford trade.
2: And this job ain't fair. I mean, it's it, it. we hear all the time about how cutthroat it is, and uh, you may not like it, but there are going to be some harsh decisions that you face when – I mean, all the talk about the Packers this year with Mike McCarthy. I mean, if you were basing it on a guy's resume – it's one thing, but if you're basing it on, here's where things are at, at the moment, I mean, it's, you hear it all the time. It's cliche, but it's a, what have you done for me lately business?
0: Well, the, uh, with Spielman too, and, and the Bradford trade that you mentioned, uh I am totally in agreement that the process I think was right based on the window to win. You had built this whole thing up to win this year and you got a chance in a, of a lifetime to get a real quarterback <laughs> 10 days before the season. How often does that ever happen? And So you had to do it because you had a chance to really win something this year with this defense and the coach that you got to coach defense, uh, which may be a bigger conversation whether you should get guys uh, specifically just for their defensive ability. But anyway, um, but as a GM, the result matters. I I mean, I always look at the process, but when your process, even if it makes sense to us on the outside, continually does not come up and does not work and the results aren't there, then the pressure is on you. I mean, you could def- defend the bread for trade over and over and over again, which is probably right to do because of the process, but the result has to happen for you to keep your job in the NFL before they go find somebody else. The process for trading up for Cordero Patterson. He is an athletic marvel and a completely phenomenal kick returner and playmaker, but does that draft pick now look very good? I don't know. Maybe your process was fine, but it doesn't look good if he ends up walking away. Then the, the final treadwell
1: process looks awful.
0: Your Treadwell, well, but the process, draft a wide receiver in that spot because you need one because you didn't know that Adam Thielen was this good. None of us knew that. Right. The process, not too bad. The result, horrendous. And that just can't keep happening over and over again and, and if you not Adam have any Thielen,
2: pressure. If they knew Adam Thielen was that good, maybe they don't draft a receiver there.
0: Yeah, and maybe they should have. Maybe they should have known he was that good. i do not know. I'm going sure to I'm think, go there. I, but yeah, I tend to think it's progress on his part yeah, more than them not yeah, knowing.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think that they could have known that at that point, especially when players only come back into the building a week or two before the draft. They didn't really have an idea yet that he was going to be that good. And I mean, that's, that's a hindsight thing. but uh, Yeah, but three, three snaps case, on Treadwell's part is yeah, historically paper that. embarrassing. Yeah, that 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 This wasn't just
1: sort of a boy rough season. This is a question of can he play? Yeah. Three snaps. Yeah. That means there was no trust to put you on the bleeping field on offense. So, yeah.
2: Well, we will wrap it up there. There's going to be plenty to talk about in the offseason on some of these issues and probably a lot of issues that we didn't get to today, uh, probably some things that need to be addressed on defense um, to get that group back to where it had played early in the season. And, and uh, we'll see what happens with Pat Shermer, among other things. Uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about this offseason, and we will certainly be – uh, continuing to do that on the Purple Podcast, we will uh, be rolling either weekly or biweekly, probably in some cases, with the occasional emergency episode. I'm sure uh, through the course of the off season. Thanks so much for joining us through all of this uh, tumultuous 2016 season. Where we hope you don't have whiplash from all the d- different directions the Vikings took you, but we appreciate you sticking with
1: us. And don't hang and for from your trusses. loyalty. Never yeah, hang. do that.
2: kids. Don't hang from trust. Pro tip: uh, Don't do that. Uh, We will leave you with that very valuable piece of safety advice. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.